Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Why don't we grab our Bibles today, turn to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19. So good to be home and good to be in the house of the Lord. I believe, I believe, um, I believe great things are going to happen today. Palm Sunday. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 19, and it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victor that day was turned into mourning. What had happened is Absalom had turned against his dad, created an insurrection, stole the hearts of the army of Israel, many of them, crowned himself as king and came to kill his own father. David and loyal people around him had to flee into the wilderness to a far place. Absalom and his army came after him. 20,000 soldiers died of Absalom. 20,000. The Bible says more died by the woods than they did by the sword. Quicksand, tragic place. Finally, after a period of time, Absalom, the leader of this, he dies hung by the hair of his head in a tree and Joab, the captain of this, David's army, kills him. Finally, all these loyal people that's able to go home, they hear David weeping in the tent over his son. And what should have been a victory that day became a day of mourning. That's the setting. That's where we're at. David had just heard that his son had died, even though he was fleeing from his son and all these loyal people protecting David during the time. It says, and the victory that day was turned into what? Unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth. That means they they quickly that day into the city. As people being ashamed still away when they flee in battle. They, 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 They begin to act like they had lost. Instead of winning and victorious and joy and glee, finally... We can get out of the snow. They had walked through wilderness, barefooted in the snow. Little kids and mothers trying to preserve life against this enemy, Absalom. And now what should have been a victory is now feeling of loss. And, um, but the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son! This is what they could hear from his tent. Oh, my son! Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. You can see with the exclamation point, that, that's what it would have sounded like. Joab, David's nephew, the captain of the army, came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, the life of thy sons and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives, and the lives of thy concubines. He said, you have caused everybody that's been faithful to you to feel ashamed, to feel bad. Everybody that's been good to you. He said, in that thou, watch what he says, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. He said, do you realize how you made all these people feel? Can I stop and say that sometimes as leaders, as parents, not all criticism is bad. Neither is all flattery good. Joab, a captain, is in a low moment of David, is saying to David, you're making a big mistake. And he says, 
He said, In that thou lovest thine enemies and hast thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died, this day that it had pleased thee well. He said, you're coming across as if you wish Absalom would have lived and everybody else would have died. Now therefore, arise. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. He said, get up, go forth, and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. Not one person's gonna stay with you. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth unto now. He said, if you don't get up and go to the gate, rejoice with the people that have fought for you and protected you and been loyal to you, he said, it's gonna be the worst mistake you've ever made. Watch verse eight. Then the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people saying, behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king for Israel had fled every man to his tent. One word that I'm gonna talk to you about today is the word celebrate. Celebrate, it's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, I got a little work to do to weave what Palm Sunday is and I'll end on this story. This is my text, I'm gonna end in this story. We'll talk about what Palm Sunday is and hopefully you'll be able to see this by the help of the Lord. Following our prayer, we're gonna have communion today and we're gonna honor God for all he's done for us. How many are thankful for everything God has done for you? Amen. God bless you, you may be seated. In John chapter 12, verse 12, this is where we find the writing about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter and uh, which we will be celebrating next week, the resurrection of our Lord. When you read in John chapter 12, it says on verse 12, on the next day which people on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that J Jesus was come to Jerusalem. There's a parallel here because you will find that, that, that David had fled Jerusalem. There's a parallel in this. David had fled to Jerusalem, fled from Jerusalem because of Absalom. You're gonna find that the victory was is when David returned to Jerusalem, which I will end on today. But it says when he, when he returned to coming was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Somebody say, Hosanna. That means save us now. Hosanna. Blessed, say it with me. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us now. Blessed is the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. When they said that, they were waving palm branches, palm branches. People were taking their coats off and throwing them into the street because the king of glory is coming. It was a fulfillment of, of, of the book of Psalms, of prophecy, that the Savior's on the way. He's coming to save us. He's bringing salvation to us. When they saw him riding up on that coat, like the prophet said, when they saw him, they knew this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And they began to worship in the streets. Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. Can I tell you that day, the Pharisees didn't like it. They told all everybody to be quiet. Don't lift your voice. Don't, 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 don't be exuberant like that. And Jesus said, if they stop crying out, he said, then the stones will cry out. 
Can I say to you, in 2022, there should still be a group of people that saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel who cometh in the name of the Lord. There ought to be still worshipers. I think somebody ought to get on your feet for a moment and say, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord because he's coming. Somebody shout, he is coming. And that's right, that's what they did. These people were loyal, committed people to Jesus. And, and you'll find that that's what it meant. And, and uh, that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. But, but you'll also find what's the significance of palms. Where do we find in the scripture? What, what, does, it, what does it relate to? What, what was it palm leaves that they were waving? And, and when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, these three and a half million people, and they're going through the desert. They came to this place called Elam. That's E-L-I-M. This place called Elam. When they got there, there were 12 wells. Everybody say 12 wells. And there were 70 palm trees. When you see palms, when you're in a desert, when you see palm trees, they get about 80 feet tall. Their branches at 80 feet tall can spread out in such a way that when the sun hits it, it can give a 120 foot diagonal uh, I mean, 120-foot um, circular shade on the ground. Now, that shade might not mean anything to you at this time of year. But when you're in a desert and the sun is parching your skin and you can find a place out of the sun. How many's ever been out in the sun for a long period of time and you just got behind a building, get a shade, get that heat off it? How many's ever been there? So your ears are blistering. Might stick out a little bit so they get blistered probably more than yours do. Some of you got hair to cover yours. I don't have that. I'd look funny if I had hair covering my ear right now. You get out in the sun and, and it, you get out of the way. It's, it's, it's a place of, it's a cool breeze can be there. You can find um, a, a relief in that moment. And uh, the, the sun, but it, it, does, it does more than that. The, 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 the palm tree, the palm tree has 300 different uses. It's got all this fruit that you can use um, but the palm tree has significance, what it means. So everybody help me now. 12 wells and 70 palm trees. That's what it says. And you can read that in chapter 15, the last verse, verse 27. 12 wells, 70 palm trees. What's the significance of this? Because they would not have known that there were wells there if they had not seen the palm tree. If you can just for one minute, some of you read your Bible too fast. You just get your chapter done. You don't really get down there in a minute. You know, what you need to do every now and then is jump off the side of your chair and, and, and jump down into the Word and jump down into the setting. And when your feet hit, you can feel the sand on your feet. You got your sand on the feet? No, you don't. You got dress shoes on in 2022. You got to take your dress shoes off for a minute, get your Jesus shoes on, get your sandals, and get a little bit of sand in your feet. And, and down there, all right, look around. It's the desert. When you're in the desert, you see the sand dunes. It's dry. You're thirsty. You're real thirsty. There's not five of you. There's three and a half million of you. That's a lot of people. And you look around and all of a sudden, over one of the top of the sand dunes, you see the green chlorophyll leaves of palms. And when you see the green with the background of the sand, you know anywhere there's a palm tree, there's going to be water. Somebody say, there's water here. And they somehow take three, and like turning a big ship, they begin to turn that multitude of people in the direction 
where in the middle of a desert there's 70 palm trees. When they get there, they find there 12 wells that are enough wells for every tribe and all of their family and all of their, their cattle and all of their camels and all of their sheep. Everything they need was provided there because how many know Jesus is an oasis in dry places? I want to say to you that church is not a place that we should just come to to fulfill religious obligation. I said it many years ago. I was preaching Crooksville. It came out of my mouth for the first time. And I said, most of the time, I just want to be here. But there's sometimes I have to get here. I have to get here because I need a drink of the well of living water. I need some joy out of the spout. Amen. Where, where Jesus pours into our lives. Somebody shout, there's wells here. I like numbers, I'm a numbers person. I can remember numbers of when I was a small kid. I can remember my neighbor's number when we were seven years old, I still remember it. 304-442-2792, I remember Jimmy's number. I still remember it. Numbers intrigued me. When I look, y'all are impressed by that, aren't you? When I, was, when I read this for the first time and I saw there were 12 wells, there are 70 palm trees, something you know, there's significance here. It's not just 70. It's not just 12. You'll find that Moses, when he had a critical moment of his leadership, he had 12 leaders of Israel, 12 tribal leaders. And it wasn't enough. He was working himself to death. And the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, I want you to appoint 70 others. That's what he told him, to appoint them. Everybody say, appoint. He said, and I'm going to give them of your spirit. It's, you're going to be multiplied. And he said, you know who they are. He had 12 tribal leaders, but he said, I need you to appoint 70 others. You know who they are. You know why he knew who they are? Because they're faithful. They're always around. They are always there. We see it show up in the New Testament because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus prayed all night long to choose what? 12 disciples, known as the 12 apostles. Jesus chose 12 disciples in Luke 9, but go one chapter later in Luke 10. The Bible says he appointed 70 others. Everybody say 70 others. When you think of disciples, when you think of the apostles, you think of those 12 that you can name. But you know what? Jesus wasn't only followed by 12. There were 70 others in almost everywhere you read. How many know it's true? You'll find little, little verses like this when you're reading the Bible, all you Bible readers. The Bible says that Jesus and the 12 disciples got in the boat and they started going to the other side. And it says, and there were other little ships that followed. Who were in those ships? It would have been these 70. They were not the preacher. They were not the prophet. They were not the, the, the source where you're gonna get everything you need out of like the 12 wells. We look at ministry and preachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists and teachers as a source that we receive from. But can I tell you, the church isn't built just upon ministry. The church isn't built just upon leadership. The church is built upon faithful people. Somebody say amen. And that's why you will find he appointed 70 others. You know who those 70 were? Let me tell you one of them. His name was Luke. Luke was not one of the 12 called. He was one of the 70 appointed. Luke, Luke wrote the book of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. I, I can't find one message. I appreciate your honor and ministry, but I've come today to celebrate you. Y'all are quiet today. Hey, listen, I appreciate your honor and ministry, but Luke was a faithful saint. You'll find Luke's writings 
are so detailed. He was so observant. He was always present. He has the best writings, I feel, of the writings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll find that when you're reading your Christmas story to your children, uh, uh, which, where do you turn? You're going to go to the book of Luke because it talks about when the world was being taxed and, and uh, talk, talks in detail. It, it, it paints the best picture because Luke was the most attentive person there. I can't find one place where he ever preached a sermon. I can't find one place where he, he ever did great exploits. He writes this grand story called the book of Acts, which is known as the Acts of the Apostles. It's the first writings of the first church that Jesus started, and it started on the day of Pentecost, the beginning at Jerusalem. Guess who was there? Luke writes the book of Acts and tells the stories of the first church or the first group of Christians and how they believed and what they did. It is written in detail. It's amazing. But there's one little place. How many ever heard the story of Paul and Silas? Theologians would tell you that Luke was actually there with them, but he didn't give himself credit because he was just there. He was just glad to be there. He wasn't looking for any approval. He wasn't looking for any accolades. He wasn't even looking to be celebrated. He was just there. He almost wrote like he was like the journalist of Scripture, a real journalist, no fake news, real news, bringing this out. And here he is, he's standing there, and, and uh, he writes in Acts 16, he says, us. It, it is a statement that reveals that very possibly Luke was in jail when Paul and Silas when at midnight they began to sing and every person's bands were loosed and every jail cell was open. He was there. He writes, Paul writes in his last writings and uh, he writes to Timothy and he said, be instant in season, out of season. He's turning the work of God over to the next generation. He said, I, I'm persuaded you've got this, Timothy. But he makes this statement. He said, my time is at hand. I'm about to be offered. That's what he said. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith and I've finished my course. That's what he said. How many's ever heard the writing? We hear a lot, of, a lot of funerals for a Christian. We hear that statement. It was his last writings before he died. He makes this statement. He said, Demas forsook me, loving this present world. He gives an account of a, of a man that had walked with him that is no longer with him. How it hurt him. At the, toward the end of the chapter, he makes reference. He said, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much harm. He makes reference to bad things because remember, in every family, in everything you do, there's going to be good things that happen and there's also going to be disappointments. How many know it's true? If you've never been let down, you haven't lived. You haven't got out very much. People are going to let you down. In the church, out of the church, in the family, out of the family. How many know it's true? You've ever worked a job, had a boss, been a boss, it doesn't matter. Owned your own business or worked for somebody else's. You're going to find yourself at some point, somebody not doing you right. But he makes a statement in his last writings that, that, that reverberates here today. Demas forsook me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. But he makes this statement. He said, only Luke is with me. What he was saying is, I've got a faithful person that has never left my side. When others walked away, he was here. When others hurt me, he was here. And you know what Luke was? Luke was not one of the called. He was one of the 70 appointed. There's something about Luke. John Mark was another one. Philemon that wrote the book of Philemon was another one. You'll find Philip the Evangelist that got the gospel out of Jerusalem to Samaria. He was one of the 70. He was not one of the original called. Can I tell you today, the church is not built on preachers. 
It's built collaboratively with 12 wells and the faithful saints of God. God is comparing in his scripture his saints to a palm tree. If you looked at Solomon's temple, when you would have went into the door of the house of God, there were a, a few carvings on it. But two of them were this. There was a carving of an angel representing the man of God. Gabriel, Gabriel means the man of God. Ministry, the well. But you'll also find carved on there was palm. Palm leaves were carved onto the door. Because you know what makes a church a church? It's not just the preacher. It's not just the platform. It's the people faithful week after week service after service, moment after moment, they come and say, through the deserts of time, I have something connected to me that's greater than I am. Jesus is my well. Jesus is my strength. Jesus is my source. Clap your hands and praise him. Can you say amen? I don't know, is Sister Helen here? Is, 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 is she in the foyer? I want, I want you to get her. Uh, and uh, there, there are people in the church right now that you, you, are, you resemble a palm tree. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like a palm tree. You've been called worse. You've been told you look worse. Amen. Brother Wilbur said a few weeks ago that Solomon told his wife she looked like a horse. He explained it better than I can, so I won't even try. But when you look at uh, a palm tree, a palm tree not only has branches that give a shade, not only does it have fruit that will nourish you, it does reflect that there is a water where it's at. But palm trees were not made to break, they were made to bend. If you cut a palm tree and you look at the cross section of it, it's not like the tree in your yard. It's not like any tree that we have around here. You do not age a palm tree by its circles because it does not have circles that you can count its years. Palm trees are measured by its branches in the amount of, you can measure the age of a palm tree by the branches that it produces, not by what the, the cross section of the circles inside of it. Why? Because it's made different than the tree in your yard. You look and see a tree snap, you won't see palm tree snap. Why? Because they were made to endure. They were made to bow. My goodness. When the trials of trouble come, they will bow and not break. Somebody say amen. When the storms of life, come here brother Cody, when the storms of life begin to blow, when the winds of opposition begin to blow, it starts pulling you down. Amen. How low can you go? Amen. It starts pulling you down. And you know what? But when the winds have stopped, when the opposition has quit, the palm tree pops back up almost as if they have his branches pointed toward heaven and saying, God brought me to it. He's going to take me through it. Can you say amen? amen? It's the seasons of time. It's the seasons of life. Could I tell you, God didn't make his people to break. He made them to bend. And when the storms and chaoses of everything going on in society, economics, politics, world wars, it doesn't matter. When you've been bent down by opposition, it raises back up and says, I'm still here. I'm preaching to you, there's power in the church. There's power in the people of God. Look at your neighbor and say, celebrate. This is 80 years for this church. I'm preaching to you on Palm Sunday that what the palm represents are the people of God that stayed, 
Some of you might have even blown away for a period of time, what seemingly going the wrong direction, facing the wrong way of opposition. But look, you're still here. You're back here because when everything else counted you as a loss, you had some roots in something that was greater than you. It brought you back to the Lord. Listen, you're gonna fight oppositions. You're gonna have things that come against you. But you're not just anybody. You're the faithful people of God that he's gonna bring back to a place Hey, the marriage might struggle, but it's not made to break, it's made to bend. It's made to endure. Somebody shout celebrate. What am I celebrating? What am I talking about today? I'm talking about you. I, I, I sent for Sister Helen, I don't know if she came in. She was in the first service. She might, she might already been gone. I'll never forget though, and I'll, I'll share her story. I'll never forget when I called Jeremy Duvall. I was on my way, it was a Friday, I was on my way to preach a meeting in Charleston, West Virginia. I'll never forget that day, I just felt prompted to call him and I said, hey, Brother Jeremy. I said, it's, it's uh, Brother Bounds. I, don't even, I wasn't even the pastor then. And I said, I just felt to call you, what's going on? He said, oh, I'm just at home today and just here at the house and within just a moment, he looked out the window. He said, Pastor, I gotta go, something's wrong. What I did not know is the moment I'd called him, his dad had had a massive heart attack. He looked out, his dad was only 56 years old. He's looking through the window of his house and his dad is laying on his back with his hands up like this. He was dead. Lawnmower, push mower was still running. I'll never forget that, that I went to the house to see his mother and to see these, the Duvall brothers there, broken over their dad who they were close to, had died and gone on. I'll never forget the day of the funeral. I didn't know what to say, it was a young preacher, didn't know what to say, so I probably didn't say anything, I was just observing. I'll never forget walking down the prayer hallway before the funeral. And I looked in the ladies' prayer room. Here is a new widow. Here is a brand new widow with a heart broken, with a thousand questions and no answers. I will never forget as long as I live seeing her by herself with her hands lifted and she was saying, but God, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. God, I trust you. You've always been good to me. Can I tell you, it was one of the greatest sermons I had ever seen. It did not come from a pulpit. It came from a saint of God, from somebody that would never preach a revival, maybe never give a prophecy, but I saw through her life that she said, I'm not made to break, I'm made to bend, and when all of this is done, it's gonna be all right, God's gonna take care of me. Life sometimes isn't fair, but I come to preach to you, we're here today 80 years later because you weren't made to break, you were made to bend, you were made to get through it. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God brings us to it. He'll bring you through it. Come here, Sister Helen. I want everybody to see you. One of the greatest sermons I've ever seen is from this lady right here. Come up here and stand with Pastor. I don't want to embarrass you for a moment. But when life was unfair, I didn't know what to say. Bishop didn't know what to say. I'll never forget the Thursday night before he talked about death. Do you remember that? Some things we don't understand the timing of God. But when the eons of time get your feet planted, begin to pull you down. There's got to be something in you that says God is faithful. When the world around me changes, He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He said, I'm the Lord and I change not. There's an old song that says, when all around me is sinking sand, 
Christ, the solid rock, I stand. When I need a shelter and when I need a friend, I can go to the rock. I'm preaching to this congregation. You're going to go through things in life. You're not exempt from trouble. But when you've got a man on the inside, what Jesus put in every believer, you've got something that'll hold you to the storms of life. You can get your, watch, if you'll stick around, you'll get your joy back. You'll get your, am I telling the truth? You'll get your peace back. You'll get your happiness back. Can I say to you, every single one of you are preaching sermons right now. When you go, watch, before they ever come to the house of God, they're going to see the palm tree. They're going to see you in the desert of life. They're going to see how you respond in the storms of life. And what you didn't realize is people were watching you at work. People were watching you that knew you. And somehow when the storm was gone, that 80, wouldn't you like to be 80 foot tall? 80 foot tall palm tree 120 foot diameter circle on the ground of shade that gave people in your world hope and rest from the pressures and the heat of life. Church is not the building. You are the church. Paul said, you're an epistle that's read of all men. I come to preach to you. Let's go another 80 if the Lord tarries. Let's be what God called us to be, a light and hope and peace to the world that is around us. Can you say amen? amen? Sister Helen, I think we ought to stand and give her a hand. This is a wonderful, wonderful lady. She hadn't been widowed once. She's been widowed twice, but she's still here. You've been a strength to us. Hallelujah. I want you to stretch, just remain standing. Stretch your hands over and pray over them. There's power. This is a faithful lady. I want you to receive a prayer. Go ahead, pray a prayer. Jesus. Because you are there. You are faithful to us, Lord. As long as we stay faithful to you, Lord, you're faithful to us, Lord. As long as we stay faithful to you, Lord, you're faithful to us, Lord. Yes. Reaching out to them. Reaching out to them, Lord. Just waiting for them to reach out to you. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Clap your hands and praise him. Thank you, Sister Helen. Come here, come here, Cindy. You can be seated. You can be seated. Your first lady, the the my wife, first lady of this church. I'll never forget the day I was in the office. The secretaries came in. I'll never forget. She called me. She said they can't find a heartbeat on the baby. Going into her fifth month, of, in her fifth month of pregnancy, I I rushed out, ran to the hospital. When I get to the hospital and or get to the doctor's office, I actually met her at the ultrasound room and went in and. They, 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 they put that ultrasound and began to check. And I'll never forget it. She was laying there and I was holding her hand. Laying there, I'll never forget. The technician said to us, uh, she said, two words, I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry. And I fell to my knees that day. And the Lord spoke to my spirit. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. We celebrate him giving to us. We don't understand when something's been taken from us. I grieved. She grieved. It was, a, it was a Thursday. I said, honey, I realize there's a baby in your belly that's not alive. We were in our anniversary service at Crooksville. And I said, you don't have to go tonight. She said, okay. She said, I'm going. She said, I'm going. On a Thursday night, she made her way. She made her way to the house of God. And what you didn't know as a preacher... 
I didn't expect you to be there at a second church that I was pastoring at the time. I didn't expect you to go. But I looked off that platform that day and I saw hands lifted. I saw hands lifted. The Lord began to move and a, a, a lady that was, wasn't supposed to be able to really have children because of the car accident she was in, because of the leg damage that she had. I looked back and she was saying, you're good. Oh God, you're good. With an unexpected issue, with a dead baby in the womb, she was saying, God is still good. I'm gonna tell you right now, she got through it. Do you remember that day we were standing at the, at the graveside and uh, there was a small little casket. We were burying that baby and that casket was there. It was one of those gloomy, Ohio can have gloomy days, weeks, and months. January and February can be quite challenging. I remember one year, one month, I didn't see a blue sky or green grass for a month. I said, this is it. I need to go to Florida. Amen. At least see some sunshine. And uh, it was April that year. And here we are. At, there's a blue tent. We're at the graveside. Just a couple, few family members, siblings, and parents that were there. And it was storming rain. It was a gloomy day under a blue tent, gray skies, and rain was pouring. And I'll never forget that young man got up and he started saying, Amazing grace. When the words left his mouth, a wind blew through that tent. The flap on the tent come up just like that, and a sunbeam came through that blue tent and it was like a spotlight only around that little casket. My dad said, Aaron, Aaron. David said, my brother, Aaron, look. You see that? I said, yeah. There was a, there was a spotlight out of heaven. There was a light out of heaven in my dark moment, in my questioning moment. And soon as the last word of amazing grace came out, that flap went down and the light disappeared. It might not have meant anything to you, but when you're in a dark hour and you realize... Hey man, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil. Talking about the trials of time. I'm gonna tell you, I don't understand the taking. We receive the giving. But guess what? He's still good. And she's preaching a sermon on a Thursday night just in a worship. God's been good to me. God's been good. God's been good. Somebody shout, God's been good. She's not here today. Her name is Betty Hodge. Betty Hodge sits right in this area. I'll never forget the story. The moment that her husband of 50 years passed away unexpectedly. Oh, I wish I could hear Buddy amen me every now and then. He laid more carpet in this city than anybody. Love Buddy. I'd be up there preaching and you hear him go, woo! Especially talking about heaven. Buddy Hodge, woo! He said, that's a McDonald's cup of coffee message right there. I'll never forget, tragically, he dies of a heart attack. I rush out where he was. They'd taken him in an ambulance. He had died unexpectedly. I get to the hospital and I go to the consultation room to see one of the most precious people I know, Betty Hodge. She's treated me like family ever since I've been here. Been, been amazing. She calls me family. She says, hey, son. She calls. She's loved me ever since I've been here. I walk in that consultation room and she's going, <laughs> You're faithful. God, you're faithful. God, you're faithful. That's what was leaving her mouth was, God, you're faithful. You see, some people, when they have tragedies, they lose their mind. They lose it all. But the church was made to break. The church was made to bend. You can get your joy back. You can get your peace back. Come on, you can live again. I know, I know you don't understand it all. Some things we'll understand on the other side, but you can't stop celebrating what's good.
I want you to clap your hands and say amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Sister Julie Gilreath. Give me time today. Can I take my time? Sister Julie Gilreath. Can I? Look at all these people. I know she looks 20, 29. She's 80 today. She's 80 today. Come here. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Sister Julie. Amen. Thank you. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Come on, celebrate with her. Sister Julie, Sister Julie says she thinks she was the first baby born in this church. I think so. 1942. You didn't have to tell them that much. <laughs> hey, what was your favorite song? Oh, Amazing Grace, I guess. Sing a line. Go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, blind, but now I see. We celebrate her today, don't we? Thank you, Jesus. Glory Love you. to God. Glory to God. I've been telling everybody today, a lot of them, how good God's been. And he has spoken to me verbally. Two or three times. Sister Julie, I got to finish this message. They're getting hungry. All right, I heard that. Give her a hand. Don't we love Sister Julie? Amen. I want to wrap this up. I told you I would get to my text today. When you look, you can be seated. When you look, understanding palm trees, understanding faithful people, look at your neighbor and say, tell pastor to take his time. Well, go ahead. Tell me to take my time. Amen. You'll find that Absalom, Absalom, Absalom was one of several sons, but he went sour. He turned against his own dad, created, the Bible, Bible calls it an Absalom at the gate, stole the hearts of people over some years, created an insurrection, causing people to turn against the faithful king, King David. He told his dad, he said, Dad, I made a vow when I was at when I was in, I believe it was Geshen, he said, I made a vow I was going to serve the Lord. If you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Hebron because i got to pay some respects to the Lord. He said, go ahead, son. When he got there, he had several hundred leaders to go with him. They caused an entire group of people, that, an army that rose up, and they crowned Absalom the king in Hebron instead of David. Word gets back to David and says, David, your own son, has crowned himself king and he's coming after you. David says, we got to leave. I know what he'll do. He's going to come in here. Don't know how far this is going, but he's going to come here. He's going to destroy me and my family. When this happens, bear with me here today. When this happens, he, he turns and, come here, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Joab in his world. Joab's his nephew. He calls for Abishai. Come here, Abishai. He calls for Abishai to come 
with him. He was a leader of a third of the army. He was a leader of the third of the army. He was the captain over all of the army. But then there was one more. Come here, Brother Melik. His name was Ittai. Everybody say Ittai. Ittai came. He said, we got to go. We got we to leave. Absalom's on his way. And I, I know you're with me. I know you're with me. But you don't have to stay with me. Because I realize, Ittai, you came with, you just showed up yesterday. Watch. Watch the story unfold. Ittai, you, I realize you weren't born a Jew. You read it, you'll study this. Ittai, you can go home. I don't expect you to have to go through this treacherous journey with me. I'm glad you're here. Why don't you take your family and go back where you came from to the Philistines? How many remember the story of David fleeing from Saul and he ends up in Gath at the Philistines' gate? And he starts worshiping in such a way that they thought he was mad. Not angry, but crazy. How many remember that? Psalms 34 is written there. When David said, are you ready? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's what he pinned at the gate of Gath when his own father-in-law is trying to kill him. Sometimes life isn't easy. And he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us what? Exalt his name together. Theologians say it was at that moment that a captain of the Philistine army, when he saw David on the, by the gate worshiping, he said, I want that man to be my leader. And he converts from the Philistine camp to a Jew, and David recognized his conversion so powerfully that he made him one of his three main officers in Israel. This man has given up everything to become David's loyal leader. But David looks at him and says, I know this isn't what you expected. If you want to, you can go back to your family because you've been, they've been with, that's all they know is this. You, I don't expect you. And watch what he says. He said, where you go, I'll go. And where you die, I'll die. Me and my family, we are here. We're with you. We will guard you. And so he stays. Somebody say, that's loyalty. And so when David is leaving, if you can picture David and his camp, they told David, they said, you're worth more than... You're, you're 10,000 of us. What that means is millions, unlimited. They're saying, David, you're so valuable. That's how they looked at this relationship. That, 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 that you're, We're going to protect you and keep you. We will not let this happen to you. They were so committed. They were so loyal. And when David went through the wilderness, this is what it looked like. They protected him. Their families went. The Bible says that Ittai and the little ones, his kids and grandkids are fleeing in the wintertime, in the wilderness, where there's quicksand, where there's snow, and some of them left barefooted. They left in such haste to live in a wilderness to protect somebody they're committed to, to fight and to protect him. Are y'all with me? But something happens while they are there. Solomon comes, and the soldiers of these men are fighting Absalom's uh, Rebellious army. 20,000 of Absalom's army died. The Bible says more died by the woods than they did by the sword. That's how bad a terrain it was. And when this happens, in the midst of it, the terrain actually even got Absalom. His head, the Bible says, got hung in a tree. Many believe that his hair, he had real long hair, that riding that mule, his hair got up and got in, intertwined in the branches and he's literally hanging by his hair from a tree and he can't go anywhere. When he does, somebody comes, somebody comes to Joab 
They said, have you heard? Absalom is hanging from a tree by his, by his head. He's alive. When Joab sees him, he goes to him and he stabs him with a, with a knife. And Joab's army men come and they throw darts through his heart and they kill the guy that's trying to kill the king. It was their job. It's the secret service. It's, 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 it's the closest circle of David was these three men. Are y'all with me today? And they come back when Absalom dies. Watch, I'll be just a few moments. When Absalom dies, the war is over. We can go home now. We don't have to sit out here in this wilderness. We don't have to sleep in a tent. We can go back to our sealed houses and some water, some normalcy. We can go home. Everybody is so excited. Can you imagine having your barefoot kids out in the snow? Hungry, in the wood. Are y'all with me right now? And then the threat is gone. The threat's removed. The army's demolished. And you can go home. There would be, yes, we can go home. There would be balloons and party favors. It's a victory. It's celebration. They're all excited. They're high five. High five me, Brother Mark. Don't, don't hurt me now. Don't. Oh, no, you'll hurt me. Hey, man, I'm just, I'm just teasing. You want that guy protecting you. Let me tell you something right now. They're high-fiving. It's victory. It's exciting. Somebody comes and tells David, David, guess what? Battle's over. We can go. The war's over. He said, what about my son? What about Absalom? He didn't make it. David puts his head down. He walks to the tent shuts the door behind him and all they can hear is moaning and groaning of the loss of his son. <laughs> they hear it went something like this. My son Absalom! <laughs> my son! My son Absalom! <laughs> what? That is what meant me instead of you. <laughs> I think we learned from this that he was, there's similarities between David and Christ. His unconditional love no matter Absalom was against him, he still loved him. How many know Jesus loved you when you were wrong? Come on, let's be honest right now. How many feel undeserving of his love? The road you took, the decisions you made. I think we learned from this. Brother Nehemiah have unconditional love for people that are against us even. Love your enemies and serve them water. He taught us this love, but it can also be done wrong. Loving Somebody that's hating you, somebody that's against you, somebody that's that's right. But not at the expense of not seeing them and loving them as well. Because he crawls in a tent, he grieves, and Joab shows up and he says, Come here, Joab. He says, King? He pulls the, pulls the tent, goes in, King? He said, Listen. He said, do you realize what you've done to everybody that's walked with you these months in the wilderness, that's protected you, that's drawn swords and fought for you and gave you water and fed your family, protected your wives, protected your kids, protected your concubine? He said, you realize the extent people have went to save you? And when they hear you crying, what should have been victory is now mourning and grieving and everybody that served with you has run away as if they've been defeated. He said, if you don't get up out of that tent and rejoice with those people that are with you, it's going to be the worst mistake you've ever made in your life. He said, arise and go to the gate. Elbow your neighbor and say, arise and go to the gate.
Come on, look at your neighbor and say, get up and go to the gate. You say, what does this mean to us? I'm going to put it this way. You could have 10 kids and have one that turns sour and all the emotion and attention goes on the one kid doing wrong and you don't even celebrate the ones doing good. Come on, bear with me now. You can, you can have a marriage. You can have a marriage where it's been great and good and amazing, but all of a sudden there's this, there's this little hiccup right here and all the emotion goes to one week. All the emotion goes to one month and you can't celebrate all the years. Truth of the matter is, some of you need an award that they stayed with you as long as they have. Look at your neighbor and say, you know you need an award for putting up with me. Amen. How many know it's true? And what can happen is, here's my message. We can stop celebrating because of something sour that's got our attention. My, I feel the Lord in this. Live for God, one loss. God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. If he loved me, why is this happening? Why are these things going this way? And turn against someone that's always, he sees a bigger picture than you. Can somebody say amen? And instead of being critical, oh my goodness. If we're not careful, I was preaching one time. Y'all bear with me. I was preaching one time. And it was Sunday night. It was power. It felt like camp meeting church service. It was, the church was excited. They were happy. They were worshiping, responding to the word. It was, it was couldn't have felt any better in the building. And I felt the spirit. I could discernment, get discernment. I could feel the spirit of a couple people. And I stopped while I was preaching. I said, I feel your bad spirit out there. You don't like what I'm saying, you know. I preach a little bit. Man, the church is just rejoicing, receiving the word of the Lord. And I go back, I go back and poke them, you know. I didn't know who it was. I just feel somebody's bad attitude. I mean, no, sometimes contention, you can feel it, you know. You can walk in the room and say, oh, there's something wrong in here. So thick you could... Yeah, y'all know what y'all know what it is. I could feel just a couple. Man, I'd start preaching. I'd poke it a little bit. I'd just a new pastor, young pastor, and I'd poke at it, and I'd keep on preaching. And in the service, service ended well. I get into my truck. I'm making my way to my house. The Bible says, "Those whom He loves, He what? He chastens." In West Virginia, we call that a whooping. And the way the Lord deals with me, He removes my peace. And the further I got away from the church, the closer I got home, the less peace I felt. And when I pulled in my driveway, I started cowering like a dog that know it, knows it did something wrong. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done that? And I pulled in my driveway, pulled into my garage, shut the door, put my head on the steering wheel, and I said, Lord, what did I do wrong? He said, all of those people that were there tonight that wanted what I gave you to give them, and you focused on the two that didn't. He rebuked me. And I said, God, I'm sorry that I don't want this ever to happen again. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. Can I tell you? Demas forsook me, but Luke is with me. I've got some things wrong in the family, but look at all of these kids that are doing good. Look, at, look, look how well that we've done. I'm going to tell you right now, this is what I come to preach to you. You can't let the one wrong keep you from celebrating everything in your life that's right, everything in your life that's good. That's exactly why. Let's all stand to our feet and clap our hands. You've got to learn. Thank you. You've got to learn to celebrate. You've got to learn to celebrate one another. You've got to learn to celebrate each other. Somebody say amen. Let's all stand as I close. We're going to pray. Get up to the gate and celebrate. Don't ever say our anniversary is just another day. Don't ever say my birthday is... It's just another day. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am worth celebrating. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you 
are worth celebrating. I like the green, I, I like the green palm trees I see in the green leaf palm trees I see in the building. You've got something that's worth celebrating. 80 years. We celebrate you, Sister Julie. 80 years. I just heard recently that the average pastor lasts only five years. That's sad, isn't it? Pressures of life. Thank you for loving me and my family. You make me want to stay all the time. COVID caused so many churches to close all over. See, church buildings for sale. And I think, listen, I'm not trying to compare, but I'm thankful that we're celebrating 80 years this year. It's worth celebrating. <laughs> September, we're going to throw a big party. Amen, 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 amen. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. If you're not careful, you'll let the one chaotic moment rob you of celebrating everything that's been good to you. My wife spoke at ladies... I think she ought to speak at Mother's Day again this year. What do y'all think? Yeah. Amen. I told her that yesterday. I told her, I said, honey, I'm going to steal a message you preached. You spoke several years ago at Mother's Day. And it's so powerful. She's talked about celebrate. She's talking about celebrating people that stay. Sometimes we celebrate people that have been broken and been healed, backslid and came back. She's talking about just celebrating those that have kept the faith. We celebrate backsliders. We celebrate people delivered from addictions. We celebrate that. And we should. God's unconditional love. We ought to celebrate that. But sometimes people that's been in church, faithful to the house of God, faithful, never went out. They don't know us like to ever been drunk. Never, don't know us like to ever have a cuss word come out of their mouth. And sometimes they can be overlooked because they're just there. How I many know that? We need to celebrate. Celebrate the good things. Celebrate the empty eye in your life. Celebrate the Abishai in your life. Celebrate the, the, the Joab in your life. I realize that nuts don't fall far from the tree in your family. Look at your neighbor saying, you know he's not talking about you. Praise God. But every family is going to have Absalom moments. But if you let the Absalom moments rob the celebration of all the good things, you're going to miss it. When's the last time you walked up to somebody that you, you expected to be there? You see, when all those meals are prepared, you can only say something when it doesn't, when it doesn't meet your expectations. But all the ones that meet your expectations, you never say, oh, that was a good meal tonight. You can only talk when you're disappointed. See, you can walk into your house or this house with an attitude, or you can walk in this house or your house with gratitude. I'm helping you today. Somewhere, there's got to be an attitude of gratitude that says, I'm thankful for you. Everybody hold up six fingers. Would you do that? Help me. I don't know who came up with the statistic, but they're probably smarter than me. But they said, before you criticize person, a person one time, you should have already praised them six times. Sometimes, I don't criticize people because I realize, or correct them, because I realize I haven't thanked them haven't praised them. The Bible says praise is coming. Where's the music at? They need it. Come on. Y'all come and help me. But sometimes, if all we get is criticism, we feel un, not needed, unvalued. 
If I walked up to you or somebody walked up to you and said, boy, that dress is slimming. You're going to wear that dress again. Boy, I like how that tie brings a color out in your eyes. You're going to wear that tie again. Come on, men. If they say, boy, that outfit makes you look buff, you know you're going to be flexing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Praise is comely. Praise is attractive. But if we're not careful, the only thing that leaves our mouth is why didn't you? Why don't you? You always, you never. And what it is, it's an absolute moment that's stealing all the greatness from everything good around you. Don't let the bad day ruin your good week. Don't let a bad week ruin the rest of your year. You get up and say, the Lord is good. Be a Cindy Bounds. Be a Betty Hodge. Be a Helen, a man that gets up and says, you're still faithful. I'm not going to die in my dilemma. I'm not going to die here in my tent. I'm getting up. I'm going to celebrate. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and praise him. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. I, I feel this today, and, and it, we're going to take communion in a minute, but have you rejoiced in the Lord giving, or have you only complained when the Lord takes away? The Lord giveth. Honey, something you and I don't understand is why the baby didn't live. Something Helen doesn't understand is why he had to die. Sickness come over the family. We don't understand some things. But if I could trust him to give, I need to also trust him to take. And I'm not going to let the taking keep me from celebrating all the giving. Are y'all hearing me today? When's the last time you sent a card to somebody faithful and said, I just want you to know I appreciate you. When's the last time you sent a card to your spouse that wasn't Valentine's Day or an anniversary and said, just want you to know I'm thankful? When's the last time you looked at me and said, I just want you to know I love you, appreciate all you do for me. I'm hard to put up with. Some of you are like, I'm not hard to put up with. I'm so easy. You lying. Don't let Absalom remove the party. Everybody shout, there's been victory. Get up. Man, I feel this today. I'm telling somebody in the room, get up. Tell your neighbor, say, get up. Come on, tell them, get up. Maybe some of you need to look at somebody beside you and say, wake up, amen, and then get up. Somebody say, get up. Go to the gate and celebrate. And the Bible says, when they heard the king was in the gate, when they heard do you know, you, know, you know, people don't understand the rejoicing sometimes in church. I mean, I, I get so excited, I jump up and down. You know why? Because I had two crippled feet. That Jesus straightened up on a Wednesday night prayer meeting. They've been diagnosed and healed me. Every now and then I just say, thank you. Thank you. Do you know what? Jesus was very emotional. He was very, very He wept. The Bible also says he rejoiced. Brother my sister Wendy, happy anniversary. Amen. 18 years. I celebrate y'all. Watch this. When the 70 others returned to Jesus and they said to him, when they said, even the devils are subject to us. He said, I'd rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. The Bible says when he said that, Jesus began to rejoice. Read it. It's in Luke 10. He started leaping up and down and spinning in circles. That's what that word meant. When he thought about you being in heaven with him, he started rejoicing.
That's what that word means. He started rejoicing. There ought to be a bigger celebration here than at the U or the Buckeye Stadium or some baseball game. Come on, your favorite basketball team. There ought to be a bigger excitement over him. I'm excited today. And some of you right now, you got questions you don't have answers to and you might not ever get the answers, answers to your questions. But somewhere you got to trust God that it's going to be all right. Would you everybody lean with me? I wish I had a picture. I want you to say this. I wasn't made to break. I was made to bend. And God's going to bring me back to where I'm supposed to be. Clap your hands and praise Him. Lift your hands. The Bible, Solomon said, lift your hands, your heart with your hands. God, I pray right now for every one of these amazing people. They could have been anywhere else. They chose to come to the house of the Lord today. I'm asking you to let there be a celebration in their home. Let there be a buzz in their home of excitement. Let the parents acknowledge the children that have stayed, that are doing well. Let them acknowledge the good they're doing and not just the mistakes they're making. For you're good all the time, God. Even when I haven't been, you've been good. You love me unconditionally, like David loved Absalom. But I feel you want to celebrate us. You want to celebrate family, celebrate marriages, celebrate newborn babies, celebrate milestones in their life. I pray that God today, that their mind will get off what didn't happen and start seeing what really did happen. Start seeing the good in each other, seeing the good in the home, the good in the family. Start complimenting one another in the name of Jesus. I want everybody to pray this prayer. God, I'm asking you to forgive us. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the things we've done wrong. Forgive us of our bad attitudes and unthankful spirit at moments. Forgive us for being busy and not intentional. Forgive us for overlooking those that have been in our life serving and helping. We wouldn't be here without people that have helped us and served with us in low moments. Thank you for Ittai. Thank you for Abishai's. Thank you for Joab's. And speak clear to us. Help us to not make bad decisions in low moments. God, thank you for good counsel. Thank you for the victory. And we're going to celebrate in the gate. In Jesus' name, clap your hands and praise the Lord. Brother Cody's going to come. Celebrate. Look at two or three people say, we're going to celebrate. Amen. Tell somebody beside you. Come on, Brother Cody. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a party waiting to happen. Amen. Come on. You believe God's been good and worthy of our praise? Let's praise Him today. Clap your hands, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.